Have you ever wondered why there are so many translations of the Bible? Or which translation is best? Well, stick around because in this episode, we're going to look at the Bible translation tree. You're listening to the Bible series with Pastor Robbie Burton. The Bible has been translated into many languages from the biblical languages of Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. As of 2018, the full Bible has been translated into 670 languages and more than 1,741 translations. When it comes to the English translation of the Bible, there's no end of choices with more than 450 different English translations. And like any choice, people have their favorites. But when we start looking for a Bible translation for a study, there's two things we need to consider. What's the translation source? And second, what's the translation's method? Let's start by looking at translation methods. When you translate from any language into another language, that translation method will sit somewhere on a continuum. On one side is a word-for-word translation method, and on the other side of the continuum is thought-for-thought translations. Each translation of the Bible in English sits somewhere along this continuum. Now, why is this important to know? Well, this affects the accuracy as to what we're reading in English. Now, if the purpose of reading the Bible is just to read the stories and be familiar with the general narrative of Scripture, then choosing a text that's closer to the right of the continuum is much easier to read because it's more of a thought-for-thought translation. And while the original is attempted to be kept in the thought, it's not always perfectly exact word-for-words as the original text. But if the purpose of reading the Bible is for understanding and the teachings and the deeper things of faith, you want to make sure that you're closer to the word-for-word side of the continuum. This ensures that we're closer to the original author's intent and therefore helping us with more accurate understanding and interpretation of Scripture. Let's take a look at manuscripts. Every English translation comes from what is called a text. You can think of a text as a complete copy of the Bible, either in the Hebrew Old Testament language or in the New Testament Greek language. Now, each of these texts is a compilation of original manuscripts, which are copies of the very first letters which were written by the original authors. Looking at the Hebrew text, probably the most famous is called the Septuagint. This is a work that was translated from the original Hebrew manuscripts into the Greek language in 132 BC by 70 scribes hence the name Septuagint. To date, we have over 11,000 Hebrew manuscripts. These also include the Dead Sea Scrolls, which validate the accuracy of this text, the Septuagint. So when it comes to the Old Testament, most scholars are in agreement that what we have in our English translations is a faithful translation of the original text and manuscripts. But when we come to the Greek, there is a lot more debate. There are four notable Greek texts. The Texas Receptus, which was compiled by Erasmus in 1516. The Westcott and Hort, named after its authors, was compiled in 1881. 
the United Bible Society released their own text compiled in 1968, and the Nestle Alum text was compiled in 1979. All of these texts were compiled from original manuscript copies, which total in excess of 5,800. But these manuscripts are divided into four families of texts, with the two dominant ones being the Alexandrian family and the Byzantine family. Between these two families of texts, there are a number of variations, hence the debate. The Byzantine family is considered to be the majority text because it makes up just over 87% of all known Greek manuscripts, while the Alexandrian family is known as the minority text because it makes up just a little under 12% of all known Greek manuscripts. And so, the debate is, which of these two families, the majority or the minority text, should be the basis of our Greek text and ultimately our English translations? To understand why there are variations between these two families, we need to look at some of the religious and political history. Church tradition tells us that the Bible writer Mark founded a school in Alexandria in Egypt very early on in Christian history sometime before 68 AD. Alexandria was seen very early on in Christian history to have great theological influence over the church. This was the first place that there was an attempt to lay out a systematic theology. Alexandria, over time, attracted many great minds, many who started out as skeptics of the Christian faith until they were converted. But this seems to have introduced many philosophical changes in attitude to the Bible. Today, Alexandria is known for its allegorical attitude to Scripture. The texts were not seen as perfect historical factual accounts, but rather allegorical and at times mystical. The church in Rome and Alexandria formed strong ties during the first few centuries. Another important site in early Christianity was the school in Antioch. This site is famous as it's the place where the followers of Christ were first called Christians. There was eventually a school started there, which was to be a place of study of biblical exegesis and theology. Antioch held to the belief that the scriptures were literal and historical. And over time, due to the philosophical shift in Alexandria, the two schools drifted in their attitudes towards the scripture and ultimately the nature of Christ. Another event that added to the distinctiveness of both schools took place in 330 AD, when Constantine moved the capital from Rome to Constantinople. With Constantinople becoming the capital of the empire, they formed a natural alliance with the new capital and the school at Antioch. While these two retained the use of Greek, Rome and Alexandria moved to Latin. And ultimately, in 1054, due to a number of reasons, including theology and culture and language, the church split into the West and the East, or the Alexandrian and Antioch families. So how does this play out in terms of manuscripts? Over the course of time, we have been left with around 5,200 manuscripts, all classified, as the Byzantine or the majority text. These texts have a 90 to 95% textual agreement with each other. While in the Alexandrian family, we have a little over 45 manuscripts with a vast amount of textual disagreement among those manuscripts. However, 
These minority texts contain the two oldest manuscripts, Codex Vaticanus and Codex Sinaiticus, which date back between 325 and 330 AD. And so the scholarly debate is, do we trust the oldest manuscripts or the majority of manuscripts? From these manuscripts come our Greek New Testament texts. The most famous text that is based on the majority manuscripts is Erasmus's 1516 Textus Receptus, while from the minority manuscripts comes the three notable Greek texts, Westcott and Hort, which was compiled in 1881, uses almost exclusively the oldest manuscript of Codex Vaticanus. And then based on Westcott and Hort's 1881 text is the United Bible Society's 1968 Greek text, which is almost identical with a few edits. It's from these three recent Greek compilations that come all English translations since 1881, while from the majority text comes the KJV and the NKJV English translations. When we examine the variations between the minority text, Codex Vaticanus, and Codex Sinaiticus, there are over 3,000 differences just in comparing the four Gospels. And remember, these two copies are only five years apart. Whereas when you compare the 5,200 text of the majority family with each other, the differences is a little over 10%. And the majority of these differences are due to spelling. Now, if you compare the differences between Codex Vaticanus and the majority text, there are over 8,000 differences, there are over 40 missing verses, and 5 missing books. Some scholars argue that the 40 verses are not missing from these texts, it's just that they were added later in the majority text. And this is why they're not included in all modern translations. However, if you accept that logic, then all modern translations should also remove the five books of the New Testament which are not found in Codex Vaticanus. The books that are missing in Codex Vaticanus when compared to the majority text are 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, the last four chapters of Hebrews and the book of Revelation. If some of the more than 40 verses that are omitted from the minority text are compared with the majority text, it can be seen that a lot of the differences are connected with the divinity of Christ and elements of salvation, which was the central issue between the two schools in the first place. So in case you missed it, when exploring the translation tree, we need to be aware that English Bibles we read today come through a translation process. We need to understand the text that they come from and also the method. And as we try and get back to the closest possible meaning of the original author, we need to consider where does the translation's method fit on the continuum and which family does the text come from. Have a blessed day. You've been listening to the Bible series with Pastor Robbie Bergen. For more of this series, go to seektv.com.